at a middle school in Oregon, the faculty and staff were um, dealing with a, a challenge where they would go into the bathroom, the janitor would go into the bathroom and would find lip prints all over the mirror where the girls were putting lipstick on and then kissing the mirror so that they could decorate it, I guess. Who knows what they were thinking? I can imagine, though, all the giggling that was going on during that time, knowing that this was not an acceptable action. Finally, the principal had an idea. She called all the girls to the bathroom and met them there with the custodian. She explained that lip prints cause a major problem for the custodian who had to clean the mirrors every day. So to demonstrate how difficult it was, she asked the the custodian to show them how he cleaned the mirrors. He took out a long-handled brush, dipped it into the toilet, and scrubbed the mirror. Since then, there have been no lip prints on the mirror. Now, that is a creative way to handle disobedience. For Peter and the apostles, their disobedience was addressed in a more predictable way. This wasn't the first time that they'd been called to the principal's office, so to speak, the Jewish council of leaders. In the previous chapter of Acts, Acts 4, we learn about another incident. Peter and John had healed a man, and the leaders got wind of this, and they called them up to him and told them not to do this again. After Well, I, I do have to add this, because Peter said to them, and we're told Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to the council, Let it be known to all of you. And to all the people of Israel that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. So now, Acts 5, they're back in front of the council and their leaders, the leaders of the council, the Sanhedrin, remind the disciples, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. I don't know the Aramaic word for bingo, but I thought that would be an appropriate beginning to the disciples' response. Out loud, they answer, we must obey God rather than any human authority. And their witness continues, the God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader, another word for that, pioneer and savior, that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. We have seen these things. And so has the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So my sermon title is Whom to Obey. This is an open book question 
You can look at your text for the answer. We must obey God rather than any human authority. Any college student would probably say, duh, let's go home. Well, it's easy to speak the answer. It's easy to know the answer, but it's difficult to live the answer to that question, whom to obey. There are at least two major problems, I think, when we try to answer this question or try to live the answer to this question. One of them is we want to obey God, but we're not sure what God wants. Now, one day I'm going to see adult movies again. But for now, I'm sticking to the G-rated ones. And Noah and Lauren like Finding Nemo. It's about five years old. Um, You see mainly two fish throughout a good part of the movie. There's, There's Marlin, the overprotective father who has lost his son to a scuba diver who picked up the the little boy in the net, little boy fish, and took him to his aquarium. So Marlon, the dad, is searching the ocean, of which he's very scared, for his son, Nemo. Marlon runs into a, a fish named Dory. Dory has a problem with short-term memory loss. Anyway, that you have to know that to know this to to see in your mind this part of the film. They're they're looking for they're trying to get to Sydney, Australia because they find out that that's where Nemo is. And so they ask the school of fish for directions and they give them directions in a very creative way. But the as Marlon is already heading in the right direction, the school of fish says to Dory, the one with the short-term memory loss, and don't forget, when you come to the trench, go through it, not over it. Through it, not over it. I got it. But she and Marlon get to the trench, and it's foreboding. It's scary. And Marlon says, no, let's go over the trench. She said, mm, I'm feeling a red flag here. I think we need to go through. Look how scary it is going through. And so Marlon tricks her into looking up and forgetting again. And so they start going over the trench. And then they run into this horrendous sea within a sea of jellyfish. And both of them nearly die. Now, I think I want to compare that little red flag that Dory experienced with the Holy Spirit that lives within us. Because I think that Holy Spirit gives us little red flags every now and then, maybe more often than that, guiding us then into which way we need to go. It's the voice inside that says, when in doubt, don't. Basic advice, which I have used time and again. And when I forget that advice, I usually regret it. 
The Holy Spirit is with each of us as much as the Holy Spirit was within the first disciples of Jesus. So listen to yourself is my admonition. And I think the scriptures trust your instincts. St. John of the Cross is quoted as saying, what does it profit you to give God one thing if he asks of you another? Consider what it is God wants and then do it. You will, as a result, better satisfy your heart than with that toward which you yourself are inclined. You will, as a result, better satisfy your heart than with that toward which you yourself are inclined. Some of you would have heard during our children's sermon the radio frequency or whatever was going on through coming through our speaker system because that mic was on. Did y'all, any of you pick up on that? I, maybe some people could tell us why that is. I, I can't. But I, I started thinking later that that's, that's sort of like the Holy Spirit. If we're really quiet, we can hear it. But if, if that had gone on while, there, while we were singing a hymn... We wouldn't have heard it. The solution to the first problem of knowing what God wants us to do is listening to the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit tells us what God wants. Now, a second problem I see with knowing how to obey God is that we forget what we know. We forget what we know. Further into Finding Nemo, this this dentist was the scuba diver who has netted Nemo. And he's in the aquarium. He's in the little aquarium in the dentist's office. And, you know, those little fish nets that have the handles on them. The dentist is getting ready to, um, to get Nemo out of the aquarium to give to his niece, Dory. Now, the music that, not Dory, Darla. And the, when the music that plays when you see Darla is the same music that they play during Psycho. Choo, 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 choo. So you know to be scared of this little kid. Anyway, so he, he reaches in with the net to get Nemo, and he has Nemo in the net. And then all the other fish, there may be six or seven other fish in the aquarium, they dive into the net too, and they push down, 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 and the net falls out of the dentist's hand. Salvation. Unfortunately, it's only temporary. But when, again, later in the film, Nemo is in the ocean, he's come back into contact with his dad and Dory, and then a trawler comes with a net and grabs Dory and a whole school of fish and is carrying it along and then it stops and the net kind of sinks like this. And then it starts being lifted up and Dory's inside. And Nemo says, Dad, I know what to do. Dad says, no, son, I will not lose you again. It's the only way we can save Dory. I can do this. Tell all the fish to swim down. 
And so they start passing the word along all the school of fish that's in this net. And they all start swimming downward. And it's coming up above the water. And then the pulley stops. And they're swimming down and down and down and down. And you see all kinds of things happen. The ship starts listing to the starboard side where, where um, the trawler net is pulling down and down and down. And the cable breaks. The net goes down into the water. The boat stabilizes. And all the fish are free. Salvation. Now, Nemo knew what to do because he had seen what to do in the past. He had gotten the idea from his friends in the aquarium of how to save others and was able then to do so. Now, Peter and the apostles had witnessed the risen Christ, and now they were witnesses to others of the power that he had given to them. They were witnesses to salvation. And then they wanted to share it. Now, this scripture passage calls each of us to be witnesses to others. Doesn't mean you have to quote scripture to them, though they might find that helpful. It does mean that we tell others how God has been active in our lives. We tell them our discoveries so that they can then use them themselves. One of the questions in our transformation journal this week asked, who is your role model in the faith? You know, years ago, and it's even still popular a little bit, this, what would Jesus do? They had all the jewelry and all that stuff. Well, that's that's the primary question to ask. But, but if your mind doesn't go there first, you might, you know, if your father was a spiritual role model for you, what would your father do when you're faced with a situation or when he would be faced with a situation when you don't know which direction to go? What would he do? Maybe it was your mother. What would she do? What would my teacher do? What would my, my minister do? No, don't use that one. Use what you have witnessed. And remember that unless you're on a game show that uses a buzzer, you never have to answer right away. I was coming back from a wedding near Williamsburg yesterday. And when you get to um, 95, I was coming around 295 up and around Richmond. And 95 comes down and then it, it splits. To go to 64. Well, you know, there are so many ways you could go. You can go, you can take one road and you can go north and south. You could take the same road. It's like a service road. And you could end up on 295 again. It, in a way, it, it just reminded me of how many directions we could go when we're faced with a decision. But often... We can come back to the same place. Usually we can come back to where we need to be. If we took the wrong exit, well, by golly, just take the next one and and turn around. Use those clover leaves. Come back to where you need to be. Take time. Pull over to the side of the road if you need to. Think about what you know. And then... 
respond. One more story from Nemo. Dory, the fish with the short-term memory problem, and Marlin, Nemo's dad, as they're on their way to Sydney, they get taken into the mouth of a whale. They're closed in with all this water and all these krill. Well, Dory thinks that she can speak whale. So she starts talking like this. And Marlon tries to tell her, you can't speak whale. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. And so something starts happening. And the water in the whale's mouth starts going down, down, down. And so Dory tries to speak whale and says, what's going on? And so the whale actually responds. And Dory says, either he said, go to the back of the throat or he wants a root beer float. (laughs) Marlon says, to the back of the throat, that's eating us. So then they get to the point where they're holding on to the whale's taste buds. And the whale communicates to Dory. He says, it's time to let go. Everything's going to be all right. And Marlon, who's perpetually scared, says, how do you know? How do you know something bad isn't going to happen? And Dory says, I don't. And they let go. And then when they go to the back of the throat, can you, can you picture what might happen? They come out the spout and back into the ocean, right into Sydney Harbor, right where they need to be. We have directions all around us. God uses them powerfully, and we just want to be attentive, to listen, to watch, watch for the signs, and to think about what we know. I want to end with a few verses from Psalm 119, because Psalm 119, if it, if it wouldn't be um, idolatry to worship the Torah or the Jewish law, then this psalm would worship the Torah. But it starts, you'll recognize the beginning. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And now listen to all the words for the law. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. 
In keeping them, there is great reward. In keeping them, there is great reward. Let's pray. God, you have given us your laws, your commandments, your statutes, your ordinances, all as a gift. Thank you for directing us. And help us, we pray, to be sensitive to your leading in all the myriad ways that you do that. Guide us, O God, always closer to our risen Christ. In his name, amen.